Welcome to Good Morning, the podcast on a mission to open up the conversation around grief and loss with honesty and humour. Hosted by Sally and Imogen, we interview interesting guests to hear how losses shape their lives. Join us as we laugh, cry and drop the odd F-bomb. Welcome back to the Good Morning Podcast. Hope you're all doing okay. Im, my friend. <laughs> Hope you're all doing better than me. How are um, you? I'm back with a horsey voice. I have COVID and I just found out this morning, so I'm pretty fucking anxious. <laughs> but, you know, it's two years into the pandemic and I'm only now getting it. So I don't know how I've dodged it for this long, but, um, yeah, it's kind of annoying. But... It's life at the moment, isn't it? Just take care of yourself, mate, and breathe through it. That is I my know. advice. <laughs> I know. I literally just have to watch my anxiety. Like that's the main thing I'm feeling most concerned about right now is I can just, I start reading things. I start like, you know, reading bloody media articles. I really shouldn't do that. So I'm going to, this is my lesson this week is to just focus on like getting better, yes. not buying into things, not thinking too far ahead into the future that hasn't happened yet, which I have a history of doing. Um, and yes. yeah definitely try and keep keep off the news channels and social yeah. and just yeah it doesn't help when you're when you're feeling anxious oh, and you've mate. got covid sending <laughs> you healing vibes and i hope you feel better because it's not fun thank you so a short and sweet intro today guys because <laughs> im's got to save her voice who are we talking to today we are joined by the co-founder of Modern Loss and all-round grief veteran, Rebecca Sofa, to talk about, surprisingly, all things loss. <laughs> it's a really funny convo, isn't it, Im? And I think it is, yeah. We talk a lot about the physical slog of grief, which, as we all know, is a biggie. But we also talk about experiencing multiple losses, which is a really big topic of convo. It is. And I think when you experience multiple losses or cumulative grief, as it is known, it's a hard one to say that one, <laughs> grieving each one becomes much harder. And one listener wrote in and described it as feeling like the grief compounds, which I think is a perfect description because you're then having to, you know, it's difficult to know which loss you're processing at the time. And it's just a lot, it's a lot to deal with. Um, she's really honest about how two big losses in a short amount of time impacted her, isn't she, Sal? She is. And she's so witty and wise. Yeah, we, she is very witty. <laughs> she's really, really funny, Rebecca. And oh, we cover a lot. Of, mic. Sorry, guys. Oh, <laughs> calm down, mate. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> You're like, what am, F this. what am I doing with my life? No. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing my mic around. Um, oh. she, she's brilliant. And we, we talk a lot actually about the anxiety that comes with loss, which I know a lot of people experience, a lot of our listeners experience, we experience, I mean, you know, I'm experiencing, I'm experiencing. <laughs> um, and I think when you experience multiple losses, then it can be, you know, who's next or, I mean, even when you experience one loss, let's be real. But so we talk about how she manages that anxiety and how she takes care of herself and the different ways that we can do that. We do. And there were some community questions which came through, which we get Rebecca to answer. And um, we also talk about 
the guilt of missing one person who died more than the other, which I think can be quite common. And she was very open and honest about that too, which we really appreciated. Definitely. Super refreshingly honest, isn't she? Yeah. Um, and also she, you know, she talks about why it's okay to let yourself off the hook with feeling any guilt. Like, I think it's quite normal sometimes to miss one more than the other. Um, so we talk about that quite in depth. But guys, before we jump in to the conversation, don't forget that our affirmation cards for grief and loss are now available via our website, which is www.goodmorning.com.au. They're a great little griefy gift for you or maybe for a friend. And also, if you enjoy the pod and have any time, we would so appreciate it if you could leave us a little rating or review as it helps Good Morning get seen by others who might benefit from listening. Enough of the spiel. <laughs> Enough of us, guys. I will go and rest and recover and I'll hopefully back, be back and healthy and ready in action for you next time. Let's jump in, guys. Enjoy. Rebecca, it is so good to have you back on the pod. Welcome back. We interviewed you over a year ago and it was a super popular episode. So we're really looking forward to picking your brains again. I am so excited to be back here and I am very honored that you think I have anything left of a brain after the last two years. <laughs> oh, it's been, it's been a couple of years. It's not looking years, good in there. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca, we want to start by talking about cumulative grief. So for anyone listening who isn't familiar with that term, cumulative grief can occur when someone experiences multiple losses, either all at once or before processing an earlier loss. And this is something that you are familiar with. By the time you were 34, both of your parents, Shelby and Ray, had died a few years apart and that is a lot to process isn't it it is it's a, it's a lot to process yeah, it is so much and, it, and even though there's like a four-year period of time in between it I guarantee you it felt like a one-two punch yeah right and I think when multiple people die within a short space of time it can also make us feel really unsafe and as if everyone around us is going to be next. And I know that's a familiar, you know, thought that can come up for people who have experienced cumulative grief and that can create some major anxiety. And you said before, I think it was in our, in our last podcast episode that you spent years waiting for the other shoe to drop. And that really resonated with a lot of our listeners. And how did you manage those thoughts and feelings when they did come up? Yeah, I think, well, with regard to the first part of the question, after my mom died, I mean, this was Blackberry days. I slept with my Blackberry under my pillow every single night for four years and not even like next to me on the side table. It was like right there because I was waiting for the call about my dad and my dad was older than my mom. And after my mom died, he had heart issues and he needed stents put in. So like I had legitimate reason for concern. Um, but at the same time, he was super vivacious and vibrant and peppy. And I still kind of thought in deep down that he was going to live for a really long time. Um, and the, the day I found out that he had died was the very first night that I put my phone in the other room because I was like, well, yeah, the other shoe dropped, like, mm -hmm. that's it. It's done. And with regard to the second part of your question, you know, how do I function thereafter? You know, like, not like, freaking out as I look around at people I like and wondering, like realizing that they're going to die. I mean, I actually do realize they're going to die. Like that's the dirty secret. Like <laughs> you may look at me and think that I'm just like having a calm sip of Merlot. Um, but <laughs> I might very well also be thinking that you're going to die 
one day and and that's just the way that I am and not in a morbid way I just I think that it's it propels me to kind of suck as much as I can out of life um I certainly don't think that I go around uh freaking out about everyone's imminent demise but I am highly aware that our time is not only not assured in any sort of length uh but that you know we also have no idea what what that length is um and so yeah I mean I I I definitely worry a lot about my very loved ones. And I think I worry more when I have cause for worry, like when I hear that someone's sick, uh, when I hear someone's had an accident, like it has to be kind of like a news peg for me to freak out. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a thing and it's a trigger and it's also like an understandable trigger to have. Absolutely. And I think back to your point earlier, it's kind of having that awareness that, yeah, it is going to happen to us all. It can kind of alleviate some of that unnecessary panic but when you are consumed in grief the fear and anxiety that comes with it is also absolutely exhausting right and people don't talk about the physical effects of of grief and I know this is something that you touch on in your in your new book but I'm curious to know what coping mechanisms you have for dealing with the physical slog of grief you know back then and even now Yeah. I mean, back then I would say in those early days, I think my body just like, I felt like a marionette that somebody had just like grabbed and then like took like a whole jar of pills of uppers (laughs) and then just like started to maneuver. I just felt like my body was just, um, taking turns with like the different parts in like freaking out. Like first I, I had all these awful headaches. I had vertigo. Then I had all these stomach issues. I had like so much stomach pain. I couldn't sleep. I remember once I was shaking and this all happened over the course of several months after my mom's death. And she died very sudden. She died in a car accident. So it was very unexpected. It was totally unexpected uh, for me. And I remember like going to get brain MRIs and like going to a gastroenterologist and like literally no one could do anything for me. And the only favor that I was done by one of these physicians was one of them said, has anything uh, like notable happened in your life recently? And I said, well, my mom died in a car accident. And he was like, well, okay. So like you, you don't have a brain tumor, FYI. Like we just did your MRI. Like you, you had a pretty big trauma And this could be your reaction to it, your physical reaction. And that was like the very first time that it really occurred to me that, you know, as the book title says, the body keeps the score Uh Um, and our bodies hold on to trauma so tightly and clench onto it really. Like it's very hard to, it's like the baby's palmer grasp. It's like a vice grip, um, has a vice grip on you. And so it took me a very long time to kind of learn different modalities that worked for me. Um, and they don't always work in any given moment and they don't always work together, but they have worked for me at different times. And there are enough of them that I've tried that have worked that I have enough of like a toolkit 
you know, to pull from. And so I actually write about it. There's a whole chapter in the book called the mind body grief continuum, whereas I, in which I try to make the case that like grief is all it like is also your body and you can fool everybody, but yourself, but like, you don't pay attention to this stuff. It's going to bite you in the ass one day or whatever. Uh, Austra- do we do ours in Australia? I don't. <laughs> yes, we, we do. do. We bite you in the ass over here. Yep. <laughs> okay. We bite you in the ass. So, um, my God, I should never, ever be that hired to English. do an ass. Yeah. I know. I just, you know, <laughs> don't ever, ever hire me to do an ass. Um, But anyway, you know, like, so I, I have done things like craniosacral therapy, which I absolutely love. It's like a very gentle touch, you know, on your body that is supposed to work with your nervous system and calm it down. I have done um, through one of our practitioners for the modern loss community. We do a month the yoga for grief support session, which like, I didn't even know there was yoga for grief support, but Sandy air does it. She's an expert at it. And every month I do it with her. And it's so amazing because it really, she really speaks to like figuring out like how people can ground themselves. Like she talks about the difference between feeling grounded and ungrounded. And she works on like different flows that will ground you. Um, I have learned and practiced mindfulness techniques. Do I meditate? Hell no, I can't do it. Like no, I no can do like, do you hear me speaking how quickly I speak. Like I, (laughs) this is like not my thing, but, um, other people do. That's why I say like, not everything works for me, you know, sometimes running really, really fast and biking really fast works for me, hiking, moving my body. Like I know now as like a grief veteran, what, what type of thing I need? Like, is it something where I need to be immobile and have something done to me? Or is it something where I need to feel like more like I'm in control and like, I'm like, just like, you know, getting it out of my system. Um, and so, yeah, I've learned a lot. I even like nature-based activities, like things that are called like green gazing, by the way, that literally just means like looking at something. (laughs) green. It's like, I mean, it's like a, I'm learning so many like, things here. <laughs> you know, there's like, it's just like the, the, there's been a lot of research done just uh, into the fact that just even spending some time in nature in green spaces can lower your blood pressure, lower your anxiety, you know, um, kind of help you build your resilience. There are a lot mm-hmm. of studies that speak to that. And so I really do try, like whenever I am on my computer all day long, which is a lot these days, I force myself like, and I, I work for myself. I, I, I work very hard and I always feel like I always have to be working when I have childcare. But then I have realized since the onset of COVID that actually like doing the bike ride or taking the walk is part of work because I, I literally can't keep going Mm. emotionally and mentally and physically. And if I, if I don't care for, you know, my like, my well-being and part of my well-being is my physical health too. Um, so I've learned a lot, you know. I love it's- that you <clears throat> mentioned yoga as well, because yeah, this is something that I didn't know either. But in Bessel van der Kolk's work, he actually talks about yoga being one of the most um one of the best um what's the what's the word I'm looking for? <clears throat> Best ways to the most trauma through the body. Yeah. So yoga is one of the most effective ways of processing trauma out of, out of the body. And I had no idea. And they've done all these scientific studies on it. So it's so fascinating. So if anyone is, you know, wanting to do that, give yoga a try. And I also had vertigo and I had no idea what it was. Is this the weirdest thing? 
Is that like the yeah. weirdest thing ever? I was so like, oh my scary. God, another Hitchcock movie. So weird. I remember like being scared to sit down on the sofa, which was a mere like foot and a half away from my face. I'm like, oh. I don't know if I can make it. Like that's so far away. Like I thought I was going to fall onto the floor. Yeah, it like takes you over to one side. I was literally like gripping on, feeling like the world around me was spinning. It was so scary. But yeah, grief does weird things to you, doesn't it? It is. It's a sneaky little bitch. <laughs> I love that you say that. And I also love that you say that you don't have to do, always do like calming, gentle stuff, right? Because I'm very much like you, yeah. like... I'm like, I like to be on the go. I find it very hard to like meditate and do yoga and do the slower things. Sometimes I need to go for like a really fast, you know, walk or run. And so I think it's good to figure out what works for you. Not everyone is going to find they respond well to the slower kind of pace thing. So that's a really good thing to highlight, I think. Yeah. And also like, you know, and I, I, this is not like a, you know, like a sales pitch for the book. It's just more that it's making me think of things that, um, I, um, in the book, I, I go into all these like DIY therapies in another section. And I even say like, do you know what feels really good sometimes like breaking shit, you know, because sometimes you do, you need that like feeling of catharsis. You need to like throw down and hear something shattering or like go hard at something like you need that. Like you, and the more you go through, you know, your experience with loss or any sort of adversity, you're going to as long as you kind of check in with yourself, you're going to know what you need. Um, not one thing is going to work forever and every day, but like as you, many things will work and you need to build up those go-tos so that you have them in your back pocket and can try them when you need to. It's kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of getting the right grief therapy. Um, I don't think it's everything, but I think it's a big part of, of support. And I also think it's better to get that stuff before you're in crisis mode. You know, it's more of like a maintenance thing. So like try and find these things and see how they feel when you're not in like freaking out in crisis, because it's going to be a lot easier to try them out and build on them. You know, at least that's just been my experience. It's good advice. And I love that you mentioned that, you know, you implement those things in your work day as well. Like, like if you know, you need to go for a walk or, you know, have that time out for self-care. Like yesterday I was having a really heavy, griefy day and I could feel it. I'm like, I'm not getting anywhere with this. Like give yourself just some space to grieve. Um, so I find that breath work really helpful for me and just releasing my emotions. Like it bring, brings, brings on a big cry, which I, yeah, which I that's find great. It's interesting you say that because I was going to say that like breath work is something where when I, when I first heard of it, I was like, Oh, that's so nice. Like let's breathe. And someone's like, <laughs> actually it can be exceedingly triggering. And so yeah. I know people who really love it because of exactly what you said, it can bring on a big cry. And I know other people who are terrified of it because they feel it can be very triggering. And that's why I say it's so good to try out many different things because you really don't know what's going to work for you, you know, yeah. and maybe you'll be like, oh my God, I needed this cry, but like, this is very scary. Like I may only use this when I'm not feeling like so incredibly raw. Um, yes. there is just a lot. I mean, like, I really think that we have the resources within ourselves to level up and be there for ourselves, even in the first months of grief, you know, um, because we, we all three know that the world isn't going to step up for us it really kind of is on us to figure it out for ourselves. I know that sucks, by the way. I know you don't want to hear that, dear listener, but like, 
it just is what it is, you know? So we're all here to talk about it and, and provide some ideas. And before we had you coming on the pod, we put a Q&A out to our listeners because they're big fans of yours. And we have a question here from a listener um, whose mum and little brother sadly died five months apart. And she said that a part of cumulative grief for her is feeling guilty for missing one more than the other at times. Did you feel the loss of one more than the other at certain times? If yes, have you experienced feelings of guilt because of that? I have felt the loss of one more than the other at certain times. Yes, absolutely. And I don't see anything wrong with that um, because we get different things from different people. When my mom died, it was such an enormously awful, painful, white hot, terrible thing that happened because she was my best friend. And, And the feeling of being unmothered, I don't really like, I love Hope Edelman, like I love her, but I don't necessarily love the term motherless because like I have a mother, you know, like Mm. I'm more like unmothered, you know, like there's no one mothering me actively right now. Um, And so I feel like the feeling of being unmothered was just so, it made me feel so tiny and scared. And when my dad died, it was also like, because he was the second parent, it was more of like an existential thing because I was like, oh, awesome. Like now I have zero living parents. Like, what does that feel like? Um, But as time goes on, like there are times where I will acutely miss one more than the other. Um, And I can't lie. It's more my mom. Um, I I love my dad. I mean, I, I do. We had a more complex relationship. I wouldn't call it a negative relationship. I would just say that it, my mom and I were just like, really just, she was truly my biggest cheerleader as was he actually. Um, but we butted heads more, not in like a destructive way, but just like, you know, I, I don't miss the butting of the heads, but I miss like his wit and his humor and how he believed that I could literally do anything I wanted to do. Um, my mom, I miss like that softness, that encouragement, that warmth, um, that, support that was so evident within her that like three ex-boyfriends showed up at her funeral because they loved her so much, you know? Um, and I do find myself, you know, missing her specifically, but I also miss both of them together, you know, Mm. and I don't actually feel any guilt about it. I don't, because I don't sit around and tell any, I'm not like, it's not like I'm like, um, Hey, Twitter, um, today I'm definitely missing my mom more, you know, I'm not like so much of an overshare like that. Uh, so yeah, I actually don't feel guilty about that because I feel like that must be a normal thing. That's I mean, what was the last know. time you tried to talk somebody out of their feelings? Like, how did that go for you? You know? Yeah. Mm. And guilt is uh, like grief is wild. There's so many uncomfortable thoughts and feelings, but the thing is it's all normal, you know, and it's, it, we judge ourselves harshly sometimes but yeah it's good advice we've got another listener question actually they have asked like was there a moment for you when your parents had died when you when you felt like content with life again I have to be honest about that I mean my mom died suddenly she died in a car accident she was my mom we were so close then my dad died four years later and in the interim I was going through so much. Like I was dealing with like 
the year, the estate and the belongings and working so like so many hours. I was working in television. Then I had very little time for myself. I, I, I was just like going so hard, um, that I didn't want to think. Mm. Um, and so I really burned out and the second year was much harder for me in my grief than the first year, because it was like that year where it just felt, it was like very clear that it was a permanent thing. And I was like, oh my God, like it's permanent now. So the first few years were so hard. And then maybe when I started to find my footing, my dad died. And so I had to like start all over again. So maybe the contentment probably didn't happen for like maybe five or six years. I mean, that's, that's the truth of the matter. Um, and it was more, you know, um, as I started to do these things that I told you, like figuring out things that helped me that felt better figuring out like how I could talk to my friends in a better way and tell them what I needed from them, ask them to give me what I needed. Mm -hmm. Even if they couldn't, I knew I could ask them, you know, that's where I started feeling like I was getting more of like a handle on it. And by the nature of having like a bit of a handle on it, I felt like I could loosen up some of my energy to actually just kind of, yeah, focus on enjoyment in life a little bit more. And that you may have felt like you've just sort of got a handle on your grief after experiencing the loss of your mom when your dad died. Did you find when your dad did die that it brought up grief again from your mom? Like how do you process those two losses individually? I can imagine it would be very complicated and complex. I think that when my dad died, what was brought up was just like all the fear of all these memories that I was scared of losing of my mom. And also the, the witness, like the memories of her as a witness of me and my life that I was scared. I was going to like that I had lost with her death. And, and some of them that had been shared with my dad that I know now were lost, you know, because he had died, um, to lose your life witness is such a hard thing. It's such an awful thing. I mean, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. It's, it's like the person who can remind you of like all these, the minutia of your personality and how you've grown and how you were and things that made them proud about you that you can't possibly remember, or maybe you never knew. Um, and that's such a hard thing because that is part of our identity. You know, part of our identity comes from stories, the stories that were told. And when you don't have that source of story anymore, that is a, an enormous loss. That's an enormous secondary loss in and of itself. Something that I wanted to touch on is, and I think a lot of people were recording this around Mother's Day um, mm. in the States and Australia. So I think, you know, the triggers are flying everywhere at the moment for a lot of people who have experienced mother loss or yeah. maybe the loss of their child. And we read an article on Refinery29 recently that you wrote where oh. you talk about grieving <laughs> in the age of the internet um, oh, and yeah. how you've had to be on the guard against what you so aptly call emotional digital sneak attacks which I thought was yes. a brilliant way to word it um, and I think this can be really prevalent in the modern day right when we're you know grieving in the internet age as you say and we're working and we're logged on to our tech all day um, you say that the undead nature of the digital world means that we uh. often get reminders you know like Facebook memories random 
marketing emails, old emails from our people. So I'd, I'd love to know, like, how do you deal with these unexpected triggers? I mean, yeah, the craziest thing I, now I know exactly what you're talking about. That was, that was an excerpt from my first book when I wrote an essay on technology, on data. Yeah. And like how messed up it is, right? Like, it's like, it, yeah, it makes the, it makes the dead die over and over and over again. It makes you grieve over and over and over again. Um, you know, it's so weird what technology serves up to you. Uh, you know, it could be anything from like that Facebook memory, which Facebook has, I, I think they've started to get smart and maybe be a little bit better about showing you memories of like your dead son. If you don't want to see them on like a, you know, a mother's, I don't know, like that you, you have a little bit more opt-in opt-out options mm. now. Um, and you know, I remember that it was like many months after my mom died, I got an email from her and it was the weirdest thing. Whoa. I still can't explain it. I literally, it's like, you know, sometimes you get an email and it's dated 1900 or am I too old? No, (laughs) no, you don't. I, okay. So I'm old. And I, when I was on hotmail, sometimes I would get emails that were like sent from 1900. And I was like, what is that? And I still don't understand because I am not a smart tech person, but I know that I did get them. And I was like, how is that possible? And so I I had the same reaction when I got an email from my mom saying that she was coming up to New York that day. Um, Oh gosh. And she'd been dead for quite so many months. And that really sent me reeling. Like that was like, I was not expecting that. Um, especially not at like two 30 in the afternoon at work when I was working on the supposed comedy piece. Um, I remember that like, just, I mean, it took, it was like, it was literally like being visited by a ghost. Um, and I still don't understand how that happened, but I know it did. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was a hard thing for me. Um, now, you know, my mom died 15 years ago. I, I would say that I, I don't have as many digital sneak attacks as that kind of really knock me off my access. Um, you really have to try to do that to me, but sometimes I'll go down the rabbit hole, you know, Mm. of I'll open the mom folder in my email and I'll read, you know, some of her emails and some of her like stupid, you know, AOL joke forwards. Cause that was the era of that. (laughs) Where it says like forward, 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 forward. It says like FW, like 17 times in the subject line. Cause it's been forwarded so many times. Um, and that was like, so my mom, like all the moms back in the day did that. Um, and I'll just read them and it's like, I'm in a time machine, you know, and it is at once so soothing and so painful. And I do it to myself. It's like sweet masochism, you know? Um, and that's, you know, it kind of just like is what it is. I think that for people who are in a bit of a raw state, raw, that's a weird word to say. Rawr. <laughs> Let's go with more raw. Okay. I'll just keep saying that until I feel like I get it right. I feel like with people who are in a more raw state, um, it can be really hard because it was for me. Um, I don't have as much of a, my mom didn't have as much of a digital footprint mm-hmm. as some people because she died in 2006. Um, and so in some ways I kind of miss having that come at me from the internet. 
like, I remember looking for a Shelby Rosenberg once and I was like, are you out there? And like, it was like some like, um, Jewish basketball star from a, like a Jewish university in New York city. And his name was literally Shelby Rosenberg. And I was like, such a weird name to be named for like a basketball star. And I was like, that's so weird because, you know, that's my mom's name and that's the online presence. And the only other thing I could really find from her was, you know, a death notice, you know, I, I didn't have a lot from her. And so in a weird way, I kind of wish I had more specific digital sneak attacks from my mom. Mm. Um, but I think also that you know, we all get thrown off by all the Mother's Day onslaught, like you said, we're, you know, in Mother's Day era. And we have been for months, let's be honest, because the marketing starts in like February. Um, and I do think that companies have started to get kind of hip to the fact that we don't need to be offered a Mother's Day oil change um, on our email. <laughs> like, you know, like, we, like, like, chill out, Jiffy Lube, you know, like we... <laughs> You can offer people the option of opting out on Mother's Day and more and more companies are doing this because yes, they know they get the halo effect, but who cares what effect they get as long as they're not bothering you. Um, so I, I do have hopes that this is going to get easier surrounding, you know, potentially painful, uh, like expected days. That said, when you live with loss, any day is a trigger day, so it can never fully go away. Absolutely. And it can just come so unexpected, can't it? And just back to talking about social media, like I remember my mom did have Facebook and I fucking hated it. I hated it. I was like, mom, do not post any photos of me. She'd like pick the wor absolute worst photos and plus them all over the internet. Um, so in a sense, <laughs> you missed out on that. It was not fun. But, you know, it is sometimes, you know, having that memorialized Facebook, I dip into it and I go and look at the old posts and it yeah. really kind of take you back to them and hear their voice. And you know, I was doing it the other day for her birthday. And, but you've got to be in the right headspace, I think, to delve into that stuff. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I definitely don't think you should do it when you're not in the headspace, but no, when you're that feeling said, raw. like, why would you ever <laughs> listen to me? Like I always do things that aren't good for myself yeah. physically and mentally and emotionally. <laughs> so, you know, I could tell you not to do it if you're not in the right headspace, but you're not going to listen to me. Just no. like when I tell you, do not be on your phone before bedtime. You're not going to listen to me, but I'm going to tell you, <laughs> don't be on your phone before bedtime. If you're having sleeping issues, cause it's not going to help doom scrolling. It's an actual mm, thing. Don't do it. Oh yeah. There's yeah. like that term. It's like a revenge bedtime procrastination. Oh, yes. that one. It's like yes. a literal term. Isn't that the craziest term? You're like going like all day long. I mean, Imogen, you have kids, like you have a daughter, a daughter. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Um, you're like going all day. You're working, you're mothering, you're freaking out, you're what, anxiety, <laughs> whatever, all the things. And then like, finally it's like 10 59 at night and you're like, okay, I'm like going to get into bed. I'm going to go to sleep early, or I'm going to like, just watch this gentle program. That's not going to like, you know, trigger me. And instead you're just like, you know what, instead I'm going to do, <laughs> I'm going to read Twitter for like three hours yes. and, and absolutely have an anxiety meltdown. Oh, oh, and watch so all true. the shows that trigger me. I don't know why yeah. I talk to myself, but yeah, we're That's our own then, worst. Bedtime procrastination where you're like, yeah. I'm just not going to do the thing that I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And instead I'm actually going to do these awful things to myself because apparently I hate myself. 
It's such yeah. a good term. The amount of times I've gone to bed with a book and literally I've like gone into some sort of like hole of like Instagram scrolling and it's like I'm in a trance, you know, I don't even know what I'm doing. And then next minute I'm like, it's been an hour and I haven't read my book. Right. But right. that is a grand, yeah, that's a very, very apt term that is. And on the topic of books, in yes. your new book, The Modern Loss Handbook, you say that relationships don't end when someone dies and mm. our own lives hold enormous potential for significance after mm. a loss, which we completely agree with. Continuing the bond, as they call it, is so important. And so how do you continue that connection with your parents? Do you have any rituals that you do? Yeah, Um I, you know, I do believe that the relationship doesn't end when somebody dies. Um, I really believe it. I mean, I, I'm not a religious person. Um, I'm Jewish. I'm very Jewish in terms of my identity. Um, I'm extremely neurotic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I don't like necessarily believe in an afterlife. Um, I don't believe that my parents are like sitting next to me and just invisible. I believe in their energy. I believe that it's really hard for energy to like vanish. Mm -hmm. I just don't understand how that is a possibility. And I don't have an explanation for it, but it is the thing that I have come to terms with makes me feel comfortable, you know, just knowing that that's what I believe and that's okay. Um, When it comes to like the relationship going on, it's because it's been proven to be to me by me that the relationship goes on. And it took time for me to realize that, you know, I was 30 when my mom died and I was her daughter and I was her little girl. You know, I felt like a little girl when she died, you know, I didn't have kids. I wasn't married. Um, and now I'm like a grown ass woman. And I look at her differently. I look at her more as like her in her role. Yes. As a mother, but also as, as a woman, as an entrepreneur, as a woman who went through her thirties and then her early forties and like, what was she thinking? What was she going through as a feminist? Like I, I kind of regard her more as like a, like a 360 person than I did when she died. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's proof that the relationship goes on because I'm getting to know her differently. Yes. Um, And the same with my dad, you know, like I have more empathy for him now than I did when he died. Um, I was really hard on him when he died, uh, cause I was pissed that he died. I mean, like, wouldn't you be pissed? Yeah. Like it was annoying. Can you <laughs> not? Dead. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. Can you not? <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, I also was just upset with him for so many things. He had been very hard on me after my mom died. He really was very needy emotionally and, it was so hard on me. And then like he died and there was like this whole like row with like his, his will and like some belongings in it that by the way, didn't really, weren't really valuable. It was just about like the meaning of things. And like, it turns Mm -hmm. out he had like promised some things to one person that he promised to another person. And I was so mad at him because I was like, why the hell did you do this? Like, why did you, and by the way, don't ever do that to anyone. It's super annoying. My will is like cut and dry. It's like everyone, I know what everyone is getting. Like everyone, my non-millions, I know who's getting everything. <laughs> um, and, uh, and like, as time goes on, I, I, I just kind of appreciated that like, okay, like it, it's not what I would have done but he didn't want strife. Like he actually felt like he was avoiding strife for him 
by like having harder conversations about this stuff when he was alive. He thought it was going to be easier, you know, <laughs> to not be involved in it because he didn't want to have the strife. <laughs> I wouldn't have done it that, that way. I wouldn't. And I'm still annoyed with him, but I have more empathy mm-hmm. for him, you know, because I, I too don't want that much strife. Um, so yeah, like the relationship lives on and, and, and you regard them in different ways. And as you maybe approach the age that they were when they died, that's a whole other thing. Or if you become a parent and they never got to be, you know, like they never got to meet your kids or, you know, or, or if you become a parent and, and they never got to see you grow up because they died when you were so young. I mean, just, uh, the relationship lives on, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting when you say that you've got more empathy for them because I think that's something that Im and I have both experienced haven't we Im we kind of see our mums in a in a different light now we see them more as as people rather than just you know like uh, the the dynamic has really changed and we have we both I think feel we have so much empathy for them and their life stories and we're getting to know them and getting to know parts of them that we had no idea about before um definitely and and that yeah the relationship evolves in exactly that way yeah like that 360 view of them like you were describing is just Mm. nail on the head like I think I just saw my mum as a mum when she was alive and then when she died I saw her as a human being and I sort of like I and I I found that really difficult as well and that that brought up a lot of guilt for me because I'm like and regrets because I'm like oh I, I wish I had that empathy for her while she was alive. I wish I let her off the hook for all the stupid little things that used to piss me off about her. Right, right, oh, right, just, right. Don't yes. you? Yeah, yeah. That's exactly. That's actually. It's 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 really great that you said that because I feel like I, I have more empathy. Well, I said I have more empathy, and yeah. I do. But I also like. Oh my god! Like I wish, you know. Luckily for me, my mom and I were so close. I I, I have zero regrets. I, I thank goodness. I mean, I would be bitchy when I was a teenager. I mean, we were mother daughter, you know, but it wasn't <laughs> like there was no rift, you know, ever we were so close. And, um, but like, I, I do feel like I, I wasn't mature enough to empathize with like some of the things that she did go through. And I wish now looking back that I could have like five minutes with her to be mm. like, oh my God, like I didn't realize that this must have been so hard. Or oh my God, like how did you deal with that? Like, how did you play this like role as the buffer, like, you know, mm. between dad and everybody? Cause my dad was again amazing. He just had like, he was stubborn and blah, blah, blah. You know, um, like how did you do that? You know, like that must have been hard. I just wish that I could tell her how much I appreciated her ability to do all of those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. My mom, you know, and, and whenever I do have guilt over it, cause I do, and I've spoken with like a therapist about it. Um, I've gotten a lovely like reassurance, which I also know is true, which is that like, it wasn't your job mm-hmm. to be like, empathic and understanding exactly know what it was like for her to go through this. Like you were her daughter, like you were mother daughter. It wasn't your job to be like the extremely mature person at age 14 or 17, whenever this was happening, you know, like 
it wasn't Even your 30. job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, um, yeah. but it still doesn't take away the desire that I could, you know, have that conversation. Mm, all of this. Yeah. My mom's mom, my mom, I was nine when my mom's mom died and I, often think back to that and I'm like, oh, I was probably like a really awful, annoying nine-year-old. I never asked her about her grief or never gave her the space to breathe. And I'm just like, I wish I could go back now and be like, all with all the things that I know about, you know, what experiencing the loss of your mum is like and support her. But, you know, that's not the way the world works, unfortunately. But yeah, all of those. Yeah. Things, all of those yeah, things. <laughs> and final question from us, Rebecca. Can you yes. tell listeners about your new book and also what's next for Modern Loss? Um, well, my new book is called The Modern Loss Handbook, an interactive guide to moving through grief and building your resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, it is out May 17th. I'm super proud of it. I really am. I, I, I love how it came out. I, I'm so moved by how it came out, um, particularly because it came out in the wake of all of this stuff that's going on in the world. I think I appreciate it more. And I think I was a little easier on myself. I mean, I'm always very hard on myself when I'm writing. Like, I'm always like, this is total shit. Like no one should ever pay you any legal tender for like giving them words. <laughs> but like, as I worked through it and reworked it and reshaped it, I was like, wow, this really does feel very like me, you know, like this is very much like a Rebecca book. And, um, and I feel very grateful to have been able to do it. And what it is, is um, a book that has three goals and it's to help you stay connected to your person, stay connected to yourself and stay connected to the world around you. And cause to me, those are like the three pillars of really like being able to build your resilience and start creating and finding some meaning in the wake of something really awful that happened Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of direct yourself toward living a life. That's like a really good one because you deserve to, that doesn't not, doesn't have like no pain. Um, it's going to have pain. I mean, life is painful. It's really shitty a lot of the time. Um, but it, it just because you have grief does not mean that you can't have joy, um, and that you don't deserve it you know? And so the book really helps you to kind of like examine those three things and resource yourself. Because as we said earlier, the world isn't going to do it for you. And I help guide you through like, you know, kind of ways that help you remember a person and look at them in that 360 view, as we were just talking about, even the tough stuff, um, Mm -hmm. ways that help you build ritual, which can be so meaningful, even like a very creative way that has nothing to do with an existing holiday. Um, I talk about, yeah, like there's all these things I talk about with regard to traditional therapy, DIY therapies, like music therapy, destructive therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, I go into sleep and dreams, how to care for yourself more there. Um, And then with regard to the whole staying connected to the world. Like there's a whole section on navigating friendship and social dynamics in the wake of loss, because it's something that we just don't talk about enough, you Mm -hmm. know, our need to draw boundaries with people who are just like, not who suck, because I think just, we just suck at the conversation, but people who are just sucking at being there for you or doing the wrong thing enough that it's really affecting your ability to kind of get a handle on your life. Um, you know, and how do you figure out a support system for yourself, both from the existing people around you, but also find and seek out other people who you can build into, you know, your greater support team. 
thank you so much. It's been such a treat to speak with you as always. And congratulations on your book. And yeah, you rock. It's been just, yeah, so nice to talk to you. So thanks for your time. Thank you so much. I really hope that we get to meet over some Vegemite one day. I bloody love Rebecca's honesty. It was so great to chat with her again. It really was. And we'll definitely have to get her over for some Vegemite and smashed Abbo, won't we? She'll love it. Delicious. <laughs> Guys, we hope you enjoyed that and we will see you next time. 